Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. And uh, as a church, we, we do a lot of things that are very important to try to help that happen, including our Christmas Eve services uh, at 2, 4, 6, and 11 p.m. that are just an, a wondrous time, and, and uh, a time we encourage you to invite friends and guests to come and, and join you here and be a part of that and what God is doing. And as, to help that happen, to make that happen, you and I are a very important part of that, to be good hosts and to be hospitable. And so uh, we always have lots of folks who we need to volunteer on that day. And uh, if you were with us last week, you know, we, we need about 400 volunteers. The good news is, as of the start of this morning, we are already at 250 or a little more. And uh, I, I've seen a lot of people sign up. We're probably at 100 or less. But we need you. Uh, because every one of those matter because we want to be good hosts and, and welcoming as people come in to help them find their place, to enjoy their time here, to experience not just our hospitality, but the hospitality of Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you will sign up, find your place where you can uh, be used by God to make a difference. Uh, whether it's, it seems big or small, it all matters to God. And uh, the beauty of it is a lot of things you can do as a family uh, and so right after this service, I hope you'll be sure to go out there. We'd love to be to the point where by next, by next Sunday, we have almost nobody left that we need, nobody, no holes left, because you've been so gracious to help. And it really does take a lot of us to do that, because we're going to have a few thousand people here Christmas Eve, and it's going to be amazing. Your giving also matters. We've got out there in the lobby, in the coffee shop places, things for you to do that you can express that love. And of course, on Christmas Eve, we do our entire offering uh, anything that's not designated, all of it goes then to Starfish Kenya. This incredible ministry that this church has been a part of for over a decade now where we have helped these children. Many of them have no family. Uh, even those who do, their family is unable often to care for them well. And we have been raising them up from little children now to the point where some of them are graduating from high school and we're going to be paying for them to go to college. Yeah, that's a very exciting we built their high school, uh, and it needs to be expanded. It's, it's now reached out into the community so that not only are the 150-plus kids at House of Hope coming, but 250 from the community are coming. It helps underwrite it. We are helping them. We're helping those at St. Anna's School as well to make a huge difference. And the, the thing is, these places, House of Hope in particular has gotten such a reputation for the good work it does that government officials and child care people come to them at times and say, we have children who, who they don't have a way to, to manage, to get an education, to, to thrive. And one of the things that we've always told Moses Basigua as he runs this is that we, Gateway Church, we will stand behind you. We will be here. We want you to minister to every child that comes your way. We don't want any child to be turned away because you feel like there's not money. You leave that to us. God has given us that role to backstop you so that that can happen. And of course, thanks to you over the last several Christmas Eves, you have given literally over a half million dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars that enables those things to happen, that those children are, are being educated and, and not just in the read and write and in arithmetic, but also in Jesus Christ. So be generous uh, as you prepare for Christmas Eve, knowing that that's there as well. 
Be praying for the people you're praying for. To, if, if you're led to invite them, we are praying for well over a thousand people. Um, and the, the sign is out there with their first names or other things they're doing. We have cards. I've already invited one of the three I'm praying for and given them the card. I'm, I'm still praying for the others and looking for the right opportunity. And it may not come. And one of the things we've told you is it may not be that you're able at this Christmas time to invite all of them. But there are others around you that you may be able to invite as well, co-workers. We know that Christmas Eve, people are more open to coming to church than any other time of the year. And it's a great opportunity, and, and we, will, we will bring them the good news of Jesus in a great celebration. Two, four, six o'clock services are identical. Uh, we'll be um, offering free pictures. 11 o'clock service uh, is, is somewhat different. All four services will close singing Silent Night to Candlelight, but the 11 o'clock service will also have communion as a part of that as a very special service. And so all of those we invite you to. And this year, something we're doing a little different in addition to for our church, our Gateway family uh, pictures and cookies and fellowship time down in our life center, we're going to set up the, the coffee shop for the guests to, to really help them. Many of them come in and go and don't know about those other things. We want, we want them to have a picture on us. We want them to feel welcomed. Uh, if you're bringing somebody, be sure to go in there. There'll be a gift for them in there. Take them in there. Uh, it's, it's very convenient right on their way. If, if you don't have a guest, you're not a part of that, be a part of the family down in the Life Center unless you volunteer to help in there so that we have plenty of room for them and, and are able to do that to encourage them, to help them know the love of Jesus that we've experienced. And, and, and also, just know that that's going to be there, that, that your time, your efforts are underwriting that to help that happen so that we can treat your guests and those who come to us in the best possible way, to extend the hospitality of Jesus Christ to them completely. So uh, just know that's, that's there. And remember, again, we've got these cards uh, be inviting. Now is the time. We're 10 days out from Christmas Eve. Now is the time. And God, I promise you, God will honor those efforts. It, it was uh, a, a hectic, overscheduled Christmas season for one woman who was frantically rushing around trying to finish her shopping, uh, and she had forgotten about Christmas cards, so she's, she's walking through a store. She just picks up a box of 50, doesn't even pay attention to them, doesn't read them. That night, she just quickly signs them, puts them in the envelope, sends out 49 of the 50, has one card left. She takes that card, throws it in the basket with the card she had been receiving, and just continued on the busyness of the season until finally on Christmas Day, late that afternoon, the, the Christmas dinner had been served, people were kind of doing their own thing, settling down. She finally took the basket, started reading the cards, and she came to the card she had sent out, and she was very surprised when she read the card, and it said, this card is just to say, a little gift is on the way. 49. But that really is the promise of Christmas. A little gift is on the way, baby Jesus. And though he is small, he is anything but a small gift. In fact, he embodied everything that had been written in the Old Testament. In Matthew chapter 1, it, it, it points to this. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife 
For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And we have seen that promise that message repeated over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Adam and Eve experienced as they were walking with God in the garden. Moses received that promise from God that he would be led by God and, and God would be with him as he led the Hebrews out of slavery to Egypt. The pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. The, the tabernacle always there in the center of the Hebrew camp denoting God with them. To God promising to be with Gideon when he faced the overwhelming Midianite army, which he defeated with only 300 soldiers. To the prophet Isaiah and more, we see this promise lived out that God is our Emmanuel, God with us. And yet, these forms are kind of hard to get a hold of, a, a, a pillar, a tabernacle. Most of those are things that, that we don't necessarily or easily relate to. So God had the prophet Isaiah give his prophecy that a virgin would give birth to a son, and finally on that which we call the very first Christmas, Jesus was born. Now, looking back, the gospel writers of Matthew and Luke talked about this birth. They told the story. It's the story we often tell, we know, we're very familiar with. But the apostle John, uh, who wrote the fourth gospel, took a very different approach, pointing us really and painting for us a kind of a big picture of who Jesus is. In John chapter 1, we read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And you get the distinct feeling that here that, that John is trying to tie together the whole story in one package. Because his opening phrase, in the beginning. Have you heard that before? Does that sound familiar? Those are, in fact, the first words of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And if you were Jewish back then and you were reading this gospel of John's, you would have immediately drawn a connection between what John was writing and who he was talking about and the God of creation. And yet it would surprise you also because John tells us the word, which was another expression for, for Jesus, was in fact God. And through him, John says, all things were made. All things. And yet perhaps the most significant thing that John tells us came a little further along in verse 14, where he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word then, Jesus, is God, John tells us. But the word also, he tells us, became flesh and blood. And John says, hey, I'm not just, I'm not just telling you a story here. I witnessed it firsthand. I experienced it. I, I know this for myself. I have seen him and his glory. We call this God becoming one of us, the incarnation, literally becoming flesh and becoming human. And the doctrine of the incarnation teaches that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, became human without in any way diminishing his, his divine nature. And 
if you, if, if you ever just pause on that, I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that's kind of brain ache material, that this infinite God reduces himself down to an eight-pound baby, maybe, to one of these children that we saw earlier, something like that. Paul alludes to this in his second letter to the Corinthians where he says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. And, and so in Paul's letter uh, then to the Philippians, he, he, he talks about this. And what I think is one of the most important passages of the entire New Testament. Many, many scholars think that this passage in Philippians chapter 2 actually was a hymn of the early church. Maybe written by Paul, perhaps written by another. And that Paul quotes it perhaps as a reminder of something that they already knew but reminding them because it is so important. So we want to look at that this morning. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, or if you have your mobile device, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and go to the live page. If you have neither of those, as always, we have an insert in your bulletin that you can use to follow along, take notes as you, as you feel led. So we want to begin in chapter 2 of Philippians and starting in the fifth verse. Paul writes to his readers, "'Have this mind among yourselves.'" which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's instructing his readers to, in other words, think on things the way Jesus did. And he's calling his readers then, but, but he's calling readers, us today, to set aside any selfishness, any discord, anything that, that might be keeping us from living the life Christ is calling us to, and to uh, then approach life as Jesus did. And then, and then he, he proceeds to tell us what that means, looking at the life of Christ, I think, in a way that very few had. In verse 6, he says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or snatched. Paul says that Jesus was, prior to his conception, prior to his birth, he was in the form of God. In other words, Jesus did not come into being when he was conceived in, in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. He had always existed as God. There are two different Greek words that Paul could have used here that when we translate them into English, we would translate as form. The first is morphe, M-O-R-P-H-E, and, and it signifies something that its essential form never changes. It is at its deepest being always the same. Uh, on the other hand, the other word is schema, S-C-H-E-M-A, and it means the outward form, while the, 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 the outward form may change um, with the circumstances. And so William Barclay, a, a commentator, explains this in terms of, of what it means to be human, that our morphe, if you will, is, is human, and that never changes. Whether we're an infant child, or we're a, a, a little, little toddler, or we're a first grader, or we're a teenager, or we're a young adult, or we're a middle-aged adult, or we're a senior adult, the, the morphe of humanity never changes. But the, the schema is constantly changing, the outward appearance. And Paul here uses the word morphe to tell us that Jesus' essential nature, no matter how it may have looked to us as a child, his essential nature was God. He's reaffirming what, what John told us, that Jesus is no less 
than the eternal Son of God who has always existed before time even began. He, he did not come into being. He did not appear for the first time when he was born. Before Abraham, before Moses, before King David, before Isaiah, the Son of God already was. He is and always will be the great I Am as the second person of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, Paul says that though Jesus was God in his very essence or being, Morphe, he didn't take advantage of it. He didn't say, look, I'm God. I can do whatever I want. Why would I want to submit to you, Father. Why would I want to become something less? Why would I want to give up everything I have, all the privilege? It says he didn't grasp or snatch or take that which was rightfully his as God. In his inherent being is this, this, this sense of humility that surrenders to the eternal purposes of God in order to fulfill God's eternal purpose. And Paul is calling the Philippians to approach life, to approach others, just as Jesus did. That, that no matter where we are in life, that like Jesus at his core, who was the eternal son of God, Jesus humbled himself for the purpose that God had laid out for him. He didn't take advantage of it, which is, which is always a temptation for us, isn't it? Whether it's the family we're born in and we're, maybe we're proud of our family and sometimes we let other people know that. Or maybe it's the, the social position we've achieved in life and sometimes we have this temptation to, to look on other people who haven't done as well and, and, and not see them quite the way we see ourselves. Or, or even the position we've attained at work that we've somehow gotten so far, you know, that, well, I mean, I, I'm the manager here, or I own the, the company, or, you know, and we look at the newbies and we think, well, you know, they're just newbies and the, the, they don't count for much and, and all that kind of stuff. In, in this inherent sense, Jesus, Jesus wasn't caught up in that. Status for us today can sometimes become so important. And, and we struggle or even dismiss the idea of giving up our rights. Look at all I've achieved. Look how, look how hard I've worked. Look how much I've gained. Look at what my family has done. Often these things are hard-earned, well-earned, rightfully, and fairly earned and it's hard for us to conceive perhaps giving them up for a greater good or a purpose. And yet that is exactly what Paul said that Jesus, the Son of God, who deserved all privilege, all honor, all glory, that's what Jesus did for the sake of us, for the sake of his mission and calling. For the sake of those who were far from him. And Paul is saying that we too should have that mind, that thought, that way of thinking, that approach to life that Jesus did. How much is he calling us to give up? How far should we go? Well, Paul tells us how far the Son of God went. Verse 7 who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The Son of God took on the essential form, the morphe of flesh and blood. He who was God is now man. 
And, and think about that. Ask yourself. So what percentage was Jesus God? What percentage of Jesus was man? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever tried to work out the, the, the mechanics of that, the math of it? Was it 50-50? Was it 40-60? Was it 30-70? Was it 80-20? Was it 10-90? And a lot of people get into debates about these things and they wonder about it. But what Paul is trying to tell us here, what the early church, in fact, repeatedly affirmed was that Jesus was, in fact, 100% God and 100% man. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you, from my engineering background, the math doesn't work. It can't happen that way mathematically. But it is the testimony of Scripture that that is who Jesus is. Somehow, Jesus never gave up his divine nature, but, but he also fully took on our nature of flesh and blood, like you and me. And, and this is one of those things where language really kind of throws us a curve because language is always inadequate. It is always impossible for the finite, and, and all that we know is finite. Everything that we experience, even the universe, as large it is, as it is, is of finite size. The finite can never fully comprehend or grasp or describe the infinite. It's why poetry and music are so valuable because, because they're, not, they're not always confined to the finite, and yet even those have a hard time explaining the incarnation. In fact, there really is no language, no tool, no symbol, no analogy, nothing that can, that can help us ultimately fathom the depths of this mystery. But think about it for a minute. I mean, about how it happened. A God who's born. I mean, does, does, that, does that even make sense? Can you, can you even say that, that God, God is, is born? I mean, some of you know this quite well. Being born is a harsh thing. It's, it's a messy affair. As an infant leaves the protection of the womb encased in amniotic fluid, it proceeds down the, the birth canal, re requiring the head to become misshapen in order to pass through. I mean, have you ever thought about Jesus with a pointy head? You need to. He comes out still attached to his mother through the umbilical cord, which has provided him all sustenance that he needed in order for his body to grow for those past nine months. The cord is cut, and that bloody baby is now the most helpless blob on the planet. Right? Moms and dads, moms, you've held them in your arms. Can they raise their head up? Can they turn to you and wink and smile? Can they reach out and grab a hold of the remote control and switch the channel? Can they walk? Can they talk? In fact, they cannot even see very well. Jesus was totally dependent on his mother and father to survive and live. Now, you wrestle with that a little bit. You think about what that means. Paul says the Son of God emptied himself, was born, 
Not as a metaphor, not as some symbolic language, but he took on the essential being of us, humanity. Morphe. To become flesh and blood. And and this word empty is is so vivid for Paul because it tries to help us understand this the humility of the Son of God to the purpose of God that he would somehow set aside all his divine privileges of being all powerful. So powerful he could speak the universe into existence, being all knowing that there was nothing he did not know, being in all places at all times, suddenly confined to what, a, a 20 inch long, eight pound baby? Can you imagine how different, how weird that had to be? And he did that to demonstrate the extent to which God is with you and me and all of us. And, and, and notice that Jesus wasn't born to a, a wealthy landowner. He wasn't born to a king where he, he would have everything provided for him. He was born to a family led by a poor carpenter and a teenage girl pregnant out of wedlock. You'd think God could. In fact, you would have expected God would have picked better if he was sending his own son. And yet, as Paul wrote again in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, the one who is rich... Because as the eternal son of God, he was rich in ways we cannot even fathom and all-powerful and all-knowing. He was rich in every way. He became poor. He became flesh and blood. He became confined to one place in one time with no ability to talk except scream, no ability to move except flail his hands, no ability to even control his bowels. He was flesh and blood. For our sakes. And yet, interestingly, the word born in Greek also carries with it a sense of, of becoming, de, uh, describing a changing phase of being, not completely yet real, not, not totally permanent. That the humanity of, of the Son of God was, was very real, but it was not permanent. In verse 8, then it says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And now here Paul uses that other word for form, schema, to, to describe the Son of God's now human form. So God fully takes on the essential being of human, but Paul tells us that ultimately this will change. It will not be his permanent form. But for now, it is totally real to the point that Jesus willingly and obediently submits himself to the Father's plan, which leads to life as we know it, which leads to day in and day out, going through the drudgery sometimes, the, the simpleness, the ordinariness of life, and speaking up at times when he was called to and preaching and teaching and having people hate him and, and spurn him and cast him out and nail him to a cross that he would die. He suffered the most challenging, scary event of our existence, death. And not just passing on in his sleep, but tortured, bloody, beaten, hanging on a cross, gasping for each breath as crucifixion painfully suffocated the Son of God. I want to tell you, I don't think there's any passage in the Bible that lays out so clearly the utter truth of God's divine nature and human nature and what it cost him 
to do that. What he sacrificed, not just in death, but even in becoming one of us for our sakes. Paul shows us Jesus was completely humble for the sake of others, for us. He did not grasp that which was his, which he could have done, which was within his right as God. He gave it all up for you, for me, and it is this lifestyle Not momentary choice, this lifestyle of humility and self-sacrifice, this way of seeing ourselves, of thinking to which Jesus calls us to, that he invites us to follow him, Paul said, to have this mind within you, to think of life this way, to see life this way, to live it this way. See, selfishness, self-centeredness, self-seeking is ultimately self-destructive, And Paul and Jesus call us to take up through the power of the Spirit in us, with us, the way of Jesus for the sake of the world around us. We care so much for those around us, for those disconnected from God, that we then, with the mind of Christ, then choose to humble ourselves, to go to any length, to to give up that which is rightfully ours, which we have gained to help those who do not know him, to help them connect with the God who loves them, who died for them, who came for them, who sent his son as flesh and blood. We are called to that life. To the degree Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. You give it up all. For others, do you sacrifice? Do you sacrifice at all? Paul says we are called to go to incredible self-sacrificial links to help others know that God loves them, is with them as well through Jesus Christ. And so we are praying for those disconnected from God because, because that's what Jesus wants. But, but it certainly cannot end there. We, we invite them into the fellowship of the community of faith as, as doors are open to become a part of the body of Christ because we are the hands, the feet, the voice of, of Jesus that we seek to have the mind of Christ to live humbly as he lived, to give up that which is rightfully ours for the sake of others who do not have that, who do not know him, because God has given to us all these resources, time, talent, and treasure. He has entrusted those to us for the sake, ultimately, of the kingdom of God and those who are far from it. There is nothing you and I have today, not our clothes, not our watch, not, not our teeth that have been fixed, not our car in the parking lot, not our house out home, not our boat, whatever it is, none of those things are going to join us in heaven. But the people around you can, they could, they might. And God might use you to do that if you are willing to have the mind of Christ, to sacrifice for his sake, like he did for you and me.
Ultimately, it is never about us. For when it is, we become self-serving. We look at ourselves. We think about what we deserve. We seek out more. And, and Paul calls us in the very opposite direction to have that mind of Christ to think and live as he did. Jesus said the Son of Man came, that's a name he used for himself, to seek and save those who are lost. C.S. Lewis wrote the Son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. That's our goal. That's our mission. That's our purpose. That's why God did it. And becoming flesh and blood was a sacrifice, was a huge giving up, suffering, dying on a cross, demonstrating the extent to which the eternal Son of God was committed to God's purposes to reveal to us that he is with us, he is on our side, he will go with us and enable us to do that which he has done no matter what the cost. That's how you and I, Paul says, should think and approach and see life. Is that easy? <laughs> no. Is it something we always want to do? No. I don't want to always do that. But that's why we have to think. That's why God has to be at work in our minds and not just in our feelings. Because our feelings will betray us when it comes to something hard. And fortunately, because of what Christ did, death is not the end for Jesus, for us, for those he uses us to reach. And Paul now describes the result of Jesus' humble faithfulness and obedience in verses 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here's this incredible promise. But, but if you read closely, there's also a warning and an implied threat that someday he is saying every individual, everyone, everyone, not just you and me, not just those who are in the church, everyone will kneel and confess Jesus Christ as Lord, as master of their life. Just think of it as a king who comes into his realm that some of the people who are standing there, sometimes you see it on a TV show or movie or whatever, they, they, don't, they don't kneel. And so what happens is someone comes behind them, a soldier comes behind them and kicks their legs out and forces them to kneel. At some point, he says, we will either choose to do it or we will have it done for us and those of us who choose to do it will do it willingly, gratefully. But some will do it because they have no choice. They are forced to do it. It is not their desire. They have even maybe worked against God and his purposes. But even the demonic who will reside in hell for all eternity will someday kneel and proclaim Jesus as Lord, whether they want to or not. That is not their choice. It is not our choice. So we can help others come to this willingly. We can help them become where it is not a, a threat or, a, or, or something bad to happen, but it becomes the choice, the, 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 the desire of their heart. That time that when that decision will come, that we will see him face to face and we will do it because we want to, because it has become our desire, because we've allowed him to work in our lives, because we have taken on the mind of Christ to try to live as he lived, to think as he thought, to do the things that he did. But for those who are forced to do it, the consequences of that are not going to be good literally forever. If they are forced to do it, those who are forced, they will not join him in his eternity. 
So we have, you and me, we have the privilege, not only experiencing God with us, but also of sharing him with others. Because we want those around us to come to faith in Jesus, to receive what he offers each of us, to experience what it is like for God to, to, to be with them as he is with us. This is what Emmanuel means, what, what God with us really looks like, what it, in fact, costs God. As I was uh, doing some reading this week, I came across a, a, a story. Uh, how, how many of you remember the, the television show Leave it to Beaver? Many of you do, not, not everyone. Some of you are a little young. Uh, it ran from 1957 to 1963, in fact. And it was about this naive little boy named Theodore the Beaver, Cleaver, and his family, Wally, and his parents, June and Ward Cleaver. And in the sh- one of the shows in the very first season, 1957, that was in fact telecast on December 13th, 1957, 57 years ago yesterday, it was shown for the very first time, Beaver's Aunt Martha has bought him an outfit. You see it? Cute, huh? How many of you would have loved even in 1957 to have worn that to school? The pants, the short pants, the jacket, the hat, Beaver hates it. And yet, he, he, kids make fun of him. He even gets into a fight. He comes home that night. He tells Wally, and, and Wally tells his, their dad about it. And Ward says he's going to take care of it. But the next morning, nothing's been said. The clothes are still there. Aunt Martha's expecting him to wear it again. And Beef's saying, where's dad? And, and he looks around, but they can't find him. So he puts on the short shorts, the shirt, the jacket, the hat walks out the back door, and there's dad. And he motions to him, come into the garage. They go into the garage, and there he hands him a pair of jeans. And then he takes the little coat from him and gives him the jacket he usually wears. And, and then he kind of stands him there. He said, now, now there's, there's the old beaver. And, and, and beaver looks at his dad with astonishment, and he, he, he proclaims, dad, you're one of the fellas. I can't say it the way Beave would have said it, but you kind of, for those of you who've heard it, you can kind of hear it. You see, that's exactly who Ward was. He demonstrated to his son that he understood what he was going through, and in fact, he had gone through it himself. And so Ward Cleaver came into Beaver's world to show him he understood what he was going through as a kid. And guys, through the incarnation, God did exactly the same thing for you and me. He shows us. He understands. He is with us. He's been through it. He knows what we're facing. He's walked our steps. People weren't any nicer 2,000 years ago than they are today. People didn't make fun of other kids any less than they do now. People didn't care about social standing any less then than they do today. And Jesus understood that. And he came to tell you he understands. 
and that he will never leave you or forsake you, even in challenging times. And, and, and it enables, he enables us to trust him and, and live as he lived, seeking to, to help others know him too because of what he has offered to us, what we have discovered, and, and the future that we know now is ours in Christ that we can help others discover for ourselves so that when we are faithful to all that he has entrusted to us, one day when we do ourselves meet Jesus, the Son of God, face to face, who sits at the right hand of God the Father, we will hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Enter into the joy of your master. I don't know about you. That's that's what I want to hear. Yeah, I get caught up in stuff today, just like all of us. But in my better moments, especially as I spend time with God, I begin to understand what it means to have the mind of Christ that looks at this world differently and even more importantly, lives it differently for the sake of others. And for that, the angels will sing and God will be honored and Jesus Christ will be lifted up so that all people are drawn to him through you, through me, as we follow. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us more than we can imagine, that you would, good grief, you would become one of us. You, 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 you go one moment from, from spanning the universe and beyond, from seeing all time, from having all power, to being a mass of cells in a teenage girl's womb that can't even control its movements. Father, our minds can't even wrap ourselves around what you did for us. And yet we have to try. We need to try. If we're to, if we're to begin to grasp what you did, what, what it means, how, how we can have that mind that was in Christ Jesus. And though we will never get there, as we welcome Christ into our lives, your spirit comes to live within us to begin to transform our hearts and minds and use us to help others as well begin to have that mind which was in Christ. Use us for your glory, Father. Use us today. Use us as we walk out of here. Use us in our conversations. Use us, help us to sacrifice for the sake of your world as Jesus did for us. We thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen. Our prayer team is, will be down here if you want to talk. But go from this place, sign up to serve, and have the mind of Christ with you as you go today. God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.